Hey, patrons. Hi, everybody. That was delayed. You need to be more with it, Richard. I'm sorry. I was, uh, I had a low agility score and so was not able to have enough initiative to, we're going to talk about a video game today. Agility is not a stat in Mass Effect, but Mm. yes, you are correct. We are talking about the, I'll call it classic at this point, because it's 10 years old. Uh, video game Mass Effect from 2007, uh, one of the defining Bioware titles of the second or third like tier I, of their existence or something. I'd say it's uh, the game that marked the transition between the mid-period and the current period of their games, yes. Yeah. And I chose this because I like Mass Effect a lot. I, I like, well, both the game and the, the universe that it creates. Uh, But I also think it's interesting to talk about in terms of space opera and its influences and what it does well and what it doesn't do well. Um, So I replayed it. um, I've played the game five times in total. uh, And I also have a couple of playthroughs of it that I kind of stopped halfway through. Mm -hmm. Um, I've played the game like many different times. And and so uh, Mass Effect has this thing called Paragon and Renegade, which is sort of like good and evil. Um, so I've played yet through Paragon. I've played through Renegade. Uh, I've played all kinds of different classes. So obviously I like the game yeah. a lot because I've played it a lot. Um, and I don't quite have that love for Mass Effect. It's weird. I So I, I haven't played the second or third recently. I didn't get a chance to for this uh, podcast. I, of the three, I did love Mass Effect 2 the most. And... So this would this was my second time playing Mass Effect. Third time, actually. The first time I gave up kind of partway through the Citadel section at the beginning. Um, second time I played it because I wanted to play Mass Effect 2. And I think under your advice, I kind of rushed through, didn't do much of the side quests. And uh, so this time I actually spent more of my... I didn't finish it, but I spent a lot of time poking around the sides of it and the additional stuff to do. Um... Mass Effect is something that I appreciate. I understand its importance in video gaming and stuff like that. I am sad that we don't have more space opera games like this, which I guess will be a big point we talk about. But yeah, for some reason, the first title in particular, I, I found I it has a lot of caveats for me. I don't th- I, I I I I. I it's not like I want you to say, like, sell Mass Effect to me. You know, why do you love it so much? But at the same time, I... You want to say sell Mass Effect to me? <laughs> yeah! Like, I don't really find I like quite like any of the classes. I don't love the... I really don't love the combat in it. Um, I don't love the way the skill trees and the equipment work. Um, and... I mean, I, I, I said I quit on the Citadel. I genu- I generally don't like the part in RPGs where you go to the first town and you have to talk to all these assholes and find these side quests. And I find Bioware is particularly tedious in that regard in those in their games. I I mean, I think this this will be a little bit of a, a weird way to get into it, but yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think I think in a lot of ways, I've always gotten the sense that. It's a game that you love despite of and pops partially because of its flaws and weird nature. Like, I generally don't love Bioware, but, um, like, Baldur's Baldur's Gate, for example, is a weird, broken game that's messy and poorly structured, and yet 
it's perfect as it is in a way. Yeah, I, I think that um, that's exactly why I like Mass Effect. Mm. And one of the things that um, maybe this is an opportunity for us to talk a little bit about just as context, like our, our video game histories, because, <laughs> you know, I've always been someone who played video games. I'm a child of, of the 80s. And so, you know, first or second generation of, of people that, uh, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in their childhood playing video games. And I also went outside, you know, I, I did, uh, but it was not my preferred activity. And you had um, a Game Boy anyway, so... And I had a Game Boy anyway, although it was very difficult to see in direct sunlight, so I, I still didn't go out very much because uh, it had a, a crystal LCD display. <laughs> if you're like under the age of like 30, go look that up. Um, and it is the case that that I have a very strange relationship with video games because I lost interest in them a few years ago. I still played them, but my opinion of them is sort of shifted again because I was very, you know, Richard and I in a previous uh, existence, um, you know, did video game criticism and then I sort of got burnt out on it and stopped playing a lot of video games. A lot of it also had to do with the fact that I played a couple of video games that I thought were like extraordinarily well done. And a lot of the video game elements of, of things. Yeah. I I just was getting to me and I I didn't really like it. And I just took some time and and didn't play a lot of games for a while. And I've actually gotten back into them. Like, I think that uh, I just play games now to play games and have fun. And I don't really think about them, but if I, and I think we'll talk about mass effect Andromeda a little bit too, because Mm. that's a very, very terrible game for a lot of reasons uh, that, make a lot of the make a lot of similar design mistakes that mass effect did but are just interminably worse at 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 everything which yeah. is kind of amazing but it will, you know it it we'll talk about that in a minute i think that what i like about video games a lot of the time is is video games that are janky yeah and mass effect is janky like there's weird the combat is like very stiff yeah uh the the mako is ridiculous um you know but the mako is like this tank thing that you <laughs> have to drive around uh it's very very if handles very poorly i mean i understand how to handle it because i played the game yeah, yeah, so yeah. much and I, like, I actually kind of enjoy it now because it's like okay i get this but for a lot of people it was like it bounces all over the place and it has to bounce all over the place because the the game doesn't handle that well and all kinds of various reasons. And like, yeah, you're right. Like it's not in a lot of ways, the game is not structured very effectively, but there's a lot about it that I really like. And I think the primary reason why I like mass effect so much is because it is a very world building game. And I like world building, you know, I've read a lot of criticism of Mass Effect, and I think that what it really boils down to is um, there's a 50-part Mass Effect retrospective, um, which I will put a link to uh, in the in the post for this, if I remember to. <laughs> I don't recommend reading it unless you're very interested mm-hmm. in, uh, uh, you know, in-depth criticism of the Mass Effect series. Um, but the first the first Mass Effect is is uh world based and mass effect 2 and 3 are character based yeah. and i would maybe recommend that you play mass effect 2 again because i think i my opinion of mass effect 2 has gone down a lot yeah. over the years um i like mass effect because it's very very well thought out the world makes a lot of sense and it 
while it isn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, it is the closest I have ever gotten to being able to be the captain of a starship. Yeah, and, and that's the I think that's the really big thing because space games, by and large, are bullshit. I mean, you have this. Uh, I read this really great article, and I don't know who wrote it, but it was talking about the influence of Elite on space uh, games. You know, so Elite is this game that was made in the eighties. It's it's you're you're piloting a ship. You get little combats. You get to trade stuff, and pretty much every and the uh, the article's point is like this makes space be a job. Space games aren't really about exploring and finding new shit. It's about just working, and that's how so many space games feel to me. I mean, uh, No Man's Sky. I watched my boyfriend play that, and it looked. Complete, like it was pretty, but you don't fucking do anything. These worlds have no depth to them. It's the um, there's a, uh, a a concept in procedural generation called the you know hundred bowls of oatmeal, which is that each bowl of oatmeal is going to have a different number of grains of oatmeal in it, and it's going to be different and you know completely. But who fucking cares? It, it's a hundred bowls of oatmeal. They look exactly the same. Um, what I do love about Mass Effect it is that rare game that has a bunch of different planets and thinks about what the, what's going on on the different planets and cares more about the uh, a, a, about the lives of the people on these planets and what the cultures are like and all of this than it is in just, well, let's look at the terrain. I mean, so much of space is about just terrain and trading to me. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree with that because I, I think that the, the real strength of Mass Effect is in the way it presents its world and how fleshed out and how lived in it feels. And, and, and part of what I think works about Mass Effect and why I think Mass Effect Andromeda is such a terrible game is that, and Mass Effect Andromeda is a terrible game for many reasons. We may get into it, we may not, but uh, is that Mass Effect is limited by its own technology. You know, mm. you're, if you think back to where video games were in 2006 when this was developed, uh, you're, you're still talking about you know, like 10 years after 3D games really became possible, 12 years after 3D games really became possible. Uh, This was, I think, one of the first games for the Xbox 360. So it, it is the case that, like, it is limited a lot by technology. And, you know, for example, a lot of what you do in Mass Effect is you can land on planets. And I don't know, maybe we should... um I'll say this and then we can kind of give an overview of like how the game actually works because I don't know that everybody has played it Um, is you can land on these planets and drive this tank around and it's it's not great frankly like it's not very engaging and you do things like you drive around and find rocks and then you press some buttons and you get some xp and and money i love Uh, every opportunity this game gives you to play simon by the way like yeah i don't know what they were thinking with that that. but but it's like but it still is okay because the technology is limiting the planets to a very small size yeah uh, whereas Mass Effect Andromeda has exactly the opposite. It has the same problem mm-hmm. that the planets in Mass Effect Andromeda are extremely tedious to to drive around, extremely boring. There's nothing to do. There's a lot yes! to do, but none of it is interesting. That's... But the planets in Mass Effect Andromeda are 20 or 30 times the size of the planets in Mass Effect. I mean, that's a thing that games are doing now. I mean, they... I think post-Skyrim games really fell in love with their own size, and we can make these huge worlds, but uh, for me, I mean, the reason... 
you, you mentioned you played a couple of games that kind of broke you from games, and I know Dark Souls was one of them, and the the great thing about that game is how fucking dense it is. You'll go through the same area seven, eight times and discover new little secrets or items in there. Uh, it's just packed full, and that's something – I mean, I feel like Mass Effect could have been slightly smaller and it would have been a little more effective, and I frankly like the Citadel at the beginning. It's this – huge area in two and three they greatly trim down the size and just have what needs to be there yes you miss the you miss the scope of the thing that you get from the first mass effect and i think it is important to show how big it is but it's also pretty empty there's a lot of just you're going through a corridor because you have to get to the next place and there's you know architecturally there needs to be a corridor here rather than this is a corridor where something happens in well, I actually disagree with you. I think a lot of the corridors in the Citadel are there because of loading times. Well, and, you know, I, I think that, like, that's where you kind of see some of the limitations mm-hmm. of the technology really playing against the game. Because, frankly, it was not like the, the technology that was used to develop and run Mass Effect was not really able to pull off yeah. a space like the Citadel effectively. And,. It is empty because it has to be because otherwise it wouldn't run. Um, But I do think that the Citadel is important. I mean, well, let's talk about the structure of the game. So I'll give like the the minute or two synopsis. And so if you've never played Mass Effect and you think you will at some point, you know, I don't know, maybe skip this. But then again, I don't know why you're listening to this. uh, Is the fact like so there's this character Shepard. It can be a male or a female. Uh, you are in the uh, Systems Alliance military. The Systems Alliance is essentially uh, the de facto government of Earth. And about, I think, 25 or 30 years before the events mm. of Mass Effect, humans uncover some uh, uh, ancient uh, spacefaring alien artifacts on Mars that leads them to find uh, this thing called a mass relay. One of the things about Mass Effect is that it's it's centered around this concept of mass relays and mass effect fields. Like it has magic that called biotics because they're, yeah. you know, manipulating mass effect fields. And they essentially what happens is um, Charon, which is, uh, uh, I, I don't know what it is now. Is it a, is it considered a moon of Pluto? What is it considered now? I don't even know. Uh, is actually a mass relay that was encased in ice. And a mass relay is in the universe of Mass Effect how people move around the galaxy at, at, at faster than light speeds. So Earth is like, okay, great. We're not in our own solar system anymore. We can go out and we can explore the entire galaxy, and this is great. And what they find is that it's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, there's these alien races called the, the, the Turians, the Asari and the Salarians, which are on this thing called the Citadel council. The Citadel is essentially the heart of galactic civilization. It is the de facto capital of the galaxy. And there's this thing called Citadel space. And they're, you know uh, uh, it's not really like the Federation because it's a little looser than that. It's more like some kind of a trade and, uh, a negotiation thing, kind of like the EU, I guess. Um, it's not its own polity, but it is the kind of thing where people listen to them because they have fleets and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's kind of like so the, the UN with uh, actual power, but... 
Yeah, yeah. And and so that essentially sets up like the events of the game and then Shepard uh becomes this thing called a Spectre, which is essentially a secret agent and has to go off and find this guy Saren who's a rogue Spectre who's trying to bring these things called the Reapers into uh into Citadel space to basically wipe out all organic life. Uh and that's the game. Yeah, and humanity's place as kind of the new kid on the block is I think one of the major themes of this, and certainly something which does differentiate it from something like Star Trek, uh, you know, hum- humanity has not really gotten a chance to prove itself. Everybody thinks they're just this upstart species, you know. The, uh, the, the humanity is basically Americans in this game. Uh, yeah, but- one of yeah one of the one of the little details, and this I think will give an indication of how well thought out the the world of Mass Effect is is one of the original details of humanity going out into space in the Mass Effect universe is this thing called the First Contact War, which essentially uh, started because some Turians came across a human ship trying to activate a mass relay. And like in the universe of Mass Effect, activating a mass relay when you don't know where it goes is like a really bad idea uh, because of something that happened like a thousand years ago <laughs> called the Rachni War. I sound like an enti- like a huge nerd right now, uh, 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 but and, I swear to God, but it all hangs together very well. And, and the so, fact like, that is happened- I'm remembering all of this backstory as you're saying it, like this, and this is how wealth, I mean, this is just kind of one thread of the backstory there are they all of the different species have their own histories and all but and that's why it works because what happened is essentially like i think it was some some i forget who it was what alien species did it but they were like activating these mass relays to get to to kind of like get access to other parts of the galaxy and what they did a thousand years ago was they activated this mass relay that opened up into rachni space and the rachni are these like giant insects that essentially started this horrible war and was decimating Citadel space for like 500 years or something ridiculous. Uh, the Salarians, which are sort of like the traditional bug-eyed aliens, um, had to uplift the Krogan species, which are sort of like the Klingons of the Mass Effect universe, to, to bring the Rachni into line and end the Rachni wars. And, and this is all background to say that the reason why the first contact war with humanity and the Turians started is because the Turians came across a human ship that was activating a mass relay without knowing where it was going. And what's great about it is it completely follows in line with what you would expect a civilization to, to act like if they had a memory of something happening exactly because of the thing that these people were doing. And so that's exactly the setup for the game, and now it's like 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a little kid playing with matches and they get, you know, put into timeout. It, it is kind of how it's perceived, and, you know, at this point, you know, none of the... Shepard becoming a Spectre, he's actually becoming the first human Spectre, and this is such a... Uh, mass- excuse me, she. Oh, fair enough. I played uh, he my first playthrough and she this time, and, you know... It's voice acting in a skin. I don't really notice the difference. But um, Shepard is becoming the first human Spectre, which is a massive deal. This is um, kind. This is it's a big step for humanity. It's it's giving them more power in the galaxy, and a lot of other characters have very different ideas about that. Some feel that humanity's not yet ready. You're just gonna fuck it up with this power, and you know that. You are a human upstart who is 
chasing a Turian specter who has gone rogue, who is a member of one of the most powerful species in the galaxy. I mean, they, they have these three species on the council, and then there's all of these lesser ones. Turians are on the council. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is there's this kind of weird second class citizenship Mm. thing going on where there's all these other alien species that are not part of the council that feel feel like the humans, essentially. And I think that that's what's so interesting about it is like there's this species called the Volus, which has been around council space as long as uh, the Asari and the Salarians, yeah. which were the first two alien species to, to kind of form the, the Citadel Council. And the Volus are still kind of like on the periphery. They, they don't have a space on the council. They feel very slighted by this. And what's interesting about it is that humanity comes into this as the new kid on the block yeah. and sees how the council treats other species that have been around much longer and the humans are like, I don't want any fucking part of that. We need to get on the council as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a partially a degree of entitlement. And at the same time, Shepard does become a driving force for change and, and possibly positive change in the galaxy. So, yeah, but I think that this is a, an interesting way in which you start to see some of the problems with the game is that um, so much of it is, you know, impinging on this kind of dialogue system which was very new at the time which you know a lot of traditional rpgs even bioware rpgs like Baldur's gate you would read what you said and then you would say it and uh mass effect is completely voice acted mm. and you don't frankly have time to read everything so they came up with this dialogue wheel system which is kind of like a cliche at this point and and one of the problems with it is that like a lot of the, what you get essentially is like a paraphrase of what you're going yeah. to say, but it doesn't completely match up with what you're saying sometimes. And so like I played as a renegade uh, this playthrough because I just I don't know, that's the kind of mood I was in. And uh, what what happens a lot of times is the the Paragon option is these very stirring speeches that are right out of Star Trek about how all the aliens need to work together and all life is sacred and blah, blah, blah. And we need to band together to stop the Reapers. And, you know, this is, you know, the, the highest, uh, you know, abilities and orders of everything. And this is the, the very inspirational, wonderful moral speeches. And then the renegade option usually boils down to like racism, Hmm. uh, which is a problem because, a lot of the options you're picking don't make it obvious that you're basically going to be like, fuck all the aliens. I hate aliens. They're like dogs. You know, it's it's very strange. Yeah, something like, you can't do that. I won't allow a filthy Turian to, uh, to get away with this. That kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And and so you, you start to see some of the problems with the... the I don't know, Mass well, Effect to me is almost like... Uh, a world that is too good for video games. (laughs) Well, you know, I guess what I... Mass Effect for me is overshadowed by what happened at the end of Mass Effect 3, which is that, you know, Mass Effect 3's ending happened. There was no way that this was going to, you know, be the second coming of Christ. You know, it's a video game. Fine, but you have all of these proto-gamer gators who are just like, fuck you, Bioware, we need a real end, and, and get this very demandy thing. Bioware ended up revising their ending based on that, and I don't know. To me, this seems like a bunch of conservative assholes like played this game and loved it, and you know, were, you know, made all these threats at the end of it, and yet, I mean, it is a very militaristic game in a lot of ways. I think that's one of the things that I'm not crazy about it. 
I, I think you're right. I, I think that like part of what is limiting about Mass Effect is that you're playing a video game and mm. RPGs have combat. And what is the yeah. easiest way to justify that? Well, you're part of the military. Um, and I, I do think that that is a problem. You know, I, I don't I don't really know to what degree in the real world the ambassador of Canada is regularly having discussions with like a general. I, I don't think that happens that much. Yeah. But in this game, it happens a lot. You know, like uh, there's this, there's this character, Captain Anderson, um, who regularly is hanging out with ambassador Udino, who is the ambassador to the, to the council uh, from earth. And you're kind of like, why this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's not you know, as, is, Yeah. So and I, I think you you know that that is a valid criticism of the game that that it is a bit militaristic, but I think in some respects that's that's a a limiting factor of the genre yeah. more than anything else. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. It goes either way because there are plenty of fantasy games that are you're just you're just a dude, but um, or a lady. Um, I mean, but the I, problem with that is like, how do you yeah? How do you construct a big budget action game on? You know, I don't even, you know, Cassidy Yates from DS9, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could probably do it. But I mean, and, I guess. I might like to play that game, but. But in a way, I guess that's where all those traditional space games that I, you know, was talking about. There are plenty of games where you're just, you're a freighter person and you're trading stuff and you get to battle the space pirates and, you know, find mystery. Like, those kind of things. I think there are plenty of games which let you play Cassidy Yates. Well, and I think also that, yeah, I think that's true. But I, but I also think that, um, what you're, st- I think, what you're seeing is how, how strange Star Trek is in a way. Yeah. Like because there, there's a lot. Like this is a, a, a you know, a recurring argument among Star Trek fans is whether or not the, you know, whether or not Starfleet is is the military, quote yeah. unquote. And I don't think it is, but it, it also is the case that strong arguments could be made for it being the military. Um, and certainly it is based on on sort of naval military ideas to some degree, but there are elements to it which don't make any sense as a military. Well, a few months ago, we uh, did a patron special on the novel Federation, which w- at one point makes clear that, you know, there are two branches of the Fed of Starfleet and one is the more military branch. One is the more exploration branch. And so, you know, we get the sense that most of the characters that we have as captain are from the more exploration-y branch of it. But, of course, that's not quite canon, but I think it's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think so. I mean, my my own opinion about, about Starfleet as a military organization or not is that it, it's kind of irrelevant because you're talking—I mean, the, the, you know, this is kind of my own headcanon mm. for it, but Starfleet is— a different type, a completely different type of yeah. organization that we just don't have. Um, yes, it does have military functions, but it is not the military because its primary aim is not to protect the Federation. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, in the same way that like our own military will do humanitarian stuff, but that is not their sole purpose. Like that is not yeah. their driving purpose. Their driving purpose is to win wars. Uh, Starfleet's sole purpose is not to win wars. Mm. But the Systems Alliance military in Mass Effect, it is a military and it is there to win wars. And you know, this is one of these universes in which I mean, I would say a major theme of the series is that um as diplomatic as you may want to be and that the, the game gives you a lot of opportunities to be diplomatic or to just, you know, tactfully 
you know, find a third option in the situation or to be the biggest, a- the biggest scariest asshole and everybody falls in line just because you're scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, there are plenty of conflicts in the game that can be solved without violence. But at the end of the day, this is about a gigantic enemy that wishes to obliterate all life because that's all it does. And this is a, an unstoppable force. And, but I mean, I guess, I, I guess. There are many conflicts that are solved just because you have more firepower or you're better at using it. But I think the major conflict about the Reapers, you know, yes, there is the military problem. They will throw on it later in the series. Uh, but this is an enemy who is outranks you technologically so much that it can't it, – it loops around to not being able to be solved by violence anymore. Yeah, like the – and I think that's one of the failings of Mass Effect 3. But, you know, we're yeah. not really here to talk about Mass Effect 3. I, I think that, yeah, you're right, and, and you see that most clearly at the end of the game. I, I don't know how far you got in this playthrough, but I'm sure you remember that kind yeah. of the, the ultimate end of the game is this very dramatic battle, space battle, which has kind of been building up through the entire the entirety of your playtime uh, between essentially the entirety of the Citadel forces, the human forces, and one Reaper ship. And so that, and, and it takes yeah. all of those ships to bring down the one Reaper ship. So it's like there is no possible way that an actual war where hundreds of thousands yeah. of Reaper ships were coming through the Mass Effect relay, that that would be the end of it. You know, that's game over for the entire you know, the entire galaxy, yeah. in fact. There's no way you're going to win militarily. Yeah, and I think famously so, you know, the final enemy is this character, Saren, who is, you know, the one who is controlling, you know, who is calling the Reapers. And, you know, yes, there is the final fight in the end of the game, but you can also, in your conversation with him before the end, it's one of those where you can persuade him that his course of action is incorrect. He is the kind of villain who is doing this because he thinks it's the right thing to do and if you convince him that no this isn't the right thing to do i think he kills himself right yeah yeah yeah, you can convince him to shoot himself it doesn't stop the final end boss from fight from happening because reaper technology makes him a cyborg or something you still have to fight him but uh I, I think that if you don't convince him, I think you have to fight him twice. Yes, you have to fight sure. him as a Turian and then is in his robot form or whatever. Yeah. So there is there is the case that you can do that sometimes. Um but I but I think that like one of the things that is a little bit frustrating about Mass Effect for for a series that is so like the world of it is so well thought out. I mean, I think we, we we should talk a little bit about some of the major alien races. Um, but but the the last thing I want to say about about the Reapers is that you know I, I, a lot of it has been written about the fact that Mass Effect two and three really retcon Mass Effect, and you know the Protheans look entirely different, for example, mm-hmm. than the statues you see um of the protheans the protheans are like this mythical uh uh last the reapers essentially like go through these cycles and every fifty thousand years or so they come pouring through a mass relay wiping out exterminating and a galactic genocide all spacefaring organic species and then they go away and they do it again fifty thousand years later so the protheans were the last iteration of this now we are back to uh the next one with the humans and salarians and turians and asari and all those races right and like essentially what what is kind of happening here is that the 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 setup for the uh 
Um, the setup for the actual game is kind of a cliche at this point because mm-hmm. it's very based on this idea that organic and AI species are going to be like at odds for some reason and there's no real reason ever given for why that is it's just kind of like a fait accompli that that ai species would hate organics for some reason and you're like well why and and interestingly enough the game kind of realizes that because i think in mass effect 2 there's this alien species called the geth which are basically ai robots that are kind of like the cylons (laughs) And um, what are they called? The Quarians? Yeah. Um, essentially are sort of like the 12 colonies. And now they're off. You know, they, they basically um, created this AI race that destroyed them and, and took over their planet. And now they're uh, floating around in this armada. And, and the Geth have, have sort of like stayed away. Right. And you can kind of see like Mass Effect is an amalgamation of a lot of different yeah. science fiction franchises. There's, there's Battlestar Galactica in here. There's Star Wars in here. There's Star Trek in here. Babylon but, Five actually in there, I would say. Babylon, yeah, it's one of the few things that. Well. It's one of the few things I would say is influenced by Babylon Five, which is strange. Yes, but. I I would agree with that. Um, but the case of uh, you know, in the case of of the Reapers, they're kind of like, like I said, they're like, well, we just have to destroy our organic life because AI never likes organic life. But then in Mass Effect Two, I think, or Mass Effect Three. There's this like revelation that the Geth that were in the first game were sort of like a breakaway, and the yeah. main Geth people are kind of like we don't have any problems with organic life. Why would we? And so I kind of like that. Yeah, one even joins your party and becomes your friend. Yeah, because like I don't know how you feel about that whole idea, but I just find it very uninteresting. No. That that for for whatever reason, like artificial life would have a problem with organic life. I, I don't get that. Yeah, I'm not of the and uh, I'm not of the opinion that AI is dangerous. You know, uh, wasn't it Elon Musk who said recently that you know the greatest threat is AI to and to to humanity? Like that's a. Uh, and and I would I would I, say that like if if that is your thought process then then maybe you should not mistreat your AI. Yeah, I know. I mean, see, one of the reasons I enjoy reading Ian Banks novels is because you have a hybrid human and AI, AI society, and the AI is so advanced that it, in a way, is it, it takes almost a protector view towards humanity, and there's certainly you know, issues of condescension and stuff like that and, you know, who's using who. But, you know, I am fully of the opinion that a an, an advanced AI, why wouldn't it feel protective towards, you know, the, the, the people who created it? Like, why would it – why wouldn't it be a benevolent AI? Why can't we make an AI be benevolent? I think that is indicate, indicative of, of – of, a lot of things about one's psyche, specifically one's relationships to uh, parents, God, and other people. Like, yeah, I think yeah. if you're of the kind of person who's saying AI and uh, organic life will always collide, you probably don't really have a great relationship with your dad. But <laughs> <laughs> I I read a lot about capitalism into that as well, but, but that's a side uh, issue. Yeah, I mean, the, the, but... Yeah. Well, I I want to talk about uh, some of the alien species in the game because I I think that that you know we we've talked a little bit about how Mass Effect is influenced by by some other space franchises and you know on the whole I think that Mass Effect the the story and the world building works very well if it is limited by um yeah. you know the 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 video the, like the the things that have to be there because it's a video game. Um but 
the alien races, I think, are, and this is why, again, I, I was so uh, disappointed and offended by Mass Effect Andromeda because it it took and, and Mass Effect is a well written game, even on a on a level of just individual lines of dialogue and, yeah. and quest lines are very well written. And Mass Effect Andromeda is not. Um, you know, it's it's very disappointing, and and so what you see here is a lot of the alien species, while they are influenced by alien species of of other space franchises or other science fiction, are also imbued with a sense of individuality and a sense of of I think um, differentiation that yeah. that makes them interesting. Yeah, there are certainly cultural similarities between all the Asari and all the Solarians, and. In a lot of ways, I think they – there is a lot of biological determinism in there. I mean like for example, the uh, – you know, one of the things about the Solarians is they live very short lives. I think it's something like 40 years or something like that and they have and, – and so – you know, but they're also the scheming race, right? They're also the ones who uh, have all of these wheels within wheels plans that will outlive them and uh, – Yeah. The Asari – the Asari are the all-female species, and there is a lot done with the concept of an all-female species, and what does that mean, and what does that mean for their reproductive cycles? And well, they're not all female. Okay, but that's they, fair. They look female, which is obviously a sop to the fifteen-year-old boys that are playing Mass Effect. Um, yeah, I have my problems with the Asari, uh, but I like the Asari as a concept. I think that you know one of the things that I think is so interesting about Mass Effect is is uh, the fact that they are really playing around with the idea of lifespan and like you're right, like biological determinism. And I think in a certain sense, that's probably why the the franchise is so obsessed with this idea that artificial life and organic yeah. life are always going to be at odds because that is a quote unquote biological determinism, even though artificial life yeah. obviously isn't biological because there is a lot of that in all of the other alien species as well. Like, uh, the Asari live for a thousand years. The Krogans also live for about a thousand years. Uh, the Salarians live for 40 years. Humans are, you know, 100, 120 years. I don't know how long Turians are supposed to live, mm. but I'm assuming they're kind of about the same as humans. So there's this idea that that the, the lifespan of the species is going to be very deterministic about their outlooks, about their society, their culture. And it's I mean, in just... the case of the Salarians, even the way they talk, they talk fast. Right, they talk fast, they blink fast, they move fast, they're, you know, they're very slight, they don't sleep very long, uh, you know, and it makes sense. Like, their entire culture and society would be very affected by the fact mm. that they live a relatively short amount of time. Like, you're right, like, they are very interested in all of these, you know, very Byzantine plots and things like that because that's the way that they are. There's this, I, there's this thing in, um, in the Salarian culture that uh, they're very, very devoted to like sort of family lineage, mm -hmm. and that they have these very long, uh, these very large families, and they're very, very complicated, and their names are very long and things like that, because that's how you get a sense of history and a sense yeah. of continuity in the Solarian culture. But then, like the Asari are very individualistic because they live for such a long time yeah. that their actions on an individual basis are what are making their a legacy for them in a sense. And so I don't know, it's just, it's so well thought out and it, it, it really speaks to, I think exactly uh, the time and the energy that was put into developing, uh, you know, all of these different alien cultures. Yeah. And 
I mean, I know you were talking about the volus earlier the, as a second class species. Well, they it's not uh, it's not incidental that they they're supposed to come from this very toxic, high gravity world, and so they're all very short and squat, and they can't breathe in you know the environments other aliens can breathe in. So they're all wearing these suits. Like they're one of the species you never see their faces. Um, the quarians as well, um, because they are reduced to living in these ships, uh, which have very uh, particular environments uh they've lost all resistance to ambient bacteria and diseases and so they need to be in you know environmental suits or they'll die um right right you know and you know they're, they're also treated kind of like the space amish in a way like we one of the major characters tally is a is on basically her rumspringer through the uh series she is you know spending her time outside to learn stuff I think yeah. Well, the 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 Quarians are sort of like they're the. I mean, I'm I'm saying this because this is kind of the game's point of view, not my own yeah. point of view. But they're kind of like the trash of the galaxy. There's this idea that the Quarian fleets, when they show up, no one's happy to see them. They're they're yeah. kind of like Roma or something, right? Well, like, yeah, because and, they created this Geth. I mean, they 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 are the reason that you know the major wars started in a way, and so they're almost seen as bad luck in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that that's that's part of the um limitations of the Mass Effect world though because it is still really limited by the idea that the future is going to be as shitty as the present. Mm. And, you know, that's also something that Babylon 5 tracked in a lot. Like that was you know, and yeah, Babylon 5 in 1995 that was kind of a revelation for television sci-fi because that's not something that you really saw a lot. Um but I just I don't know. I'm not I don't I don't react to that very well because it's kind of like it's uninteresting to say in the future we're going to have all the same problems as we have now and no one's gonna give a shit. And it's like, great, why am I watching this show then? Yeah. Like you know, like what is I, the point of, of individual action if the socialist revolution is never gonna happen? Right. And so I kind of feel like that to to a certain degree in Mass Effect, like you know, there's an there's the idea in Mass Effect that that Earth is very very overpopulated and that there's a lot of poverty and pollution and you know one of the reasons why Earth is so insistent on getting all of these colonies started is so to to give people a better life to get them off Earth or whatever and I don't know I just part of me is like all right that's fine but at the same time what are you giving me that's different and interesting about that and I, it's a very... I think that. Well, the the, the the last thing I want to say before I, you know, and I don't want to cut you off, but like, mm-hmm. is that for me, the least interesting part of the world building of Mass Effect is, is, is humanity. Yeah, it's a very conservative view of humanity, one that I don't really subscribe to, one that, um, I don't know, doesn't feel like it's going to be able to make any meaningful change. There will always be assholes in charge is kind of one of the suggestions of it, and... That's not something I necessarily believe in. Yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, there's a, um, you know, you have your your squad mates and you can talk to them in Bioware style and, and have these, you know, f- far reaching philosophical discussions. And, um, you know, one of them is, is this uh, uh, woman, Ashley, who's a soldier, and, and she turns out to be kind of a racist. Mm. Like there's this one line where she says, um, She's like, you know, if you're with your dog and a bear attacks you, you're not going to think twice to throw your dog at the bear because at the end of the day, the 
dog's not human and mm. that's kind of how I feel about aliens and you're like what yeah she has like just a bark in the middle of things like in the citadel where she's oh these aliens all look the same you know <laughs> and which fine I guess but it, you know but you know but, but like it's, it's it's indicative of more and especially because as much as possible I think for the major characters they do a good job of differentiating the mem- various members of a species. Yes, of course, some of the more NPCs, they use the same model, but for major characters. Yeah, because, I mean, like, you have um, the, the, basically the police force of, of uh, the Citadel, CSEC, is um, one of the crew members that you can get is this, this uh, guy, Garrus, and he's a, a Turian, um, and he is very, very different to another CSEC officer that you can talk to. You know, the CSEC officer who runs CSEC is very by the book. And, you know, he's yeah. very like, we need to protect the rights of, of everybody. And, and it's kind of like a dream scenario because, you know, the police force in America is certainly not like that. And then, you know, Garrus is more of like your, you know, uh, a cop who's like, well, all black people are going to shoot me. So I should be able to do whatever I want. Um and, you know, it's kind of, I guess, a nice choice that Garrus is kind of an asshole, but uh, it also indicates, like, how the, the, the franchise or how this game is presenting its characters because they're not all the same. Like, these are two yeah. Turians. Uh, they both have the same job, but they have very different outlooks about how they're doing it and very different, I think, worldviews. Yeah, and at the same time, there's the commonality in that both of them do believe in certain values of law and order and that there does need to be a police force in the world, and yet... They have very varying ideas of what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I guess that's, at the end of the day, why I wanted to mm. talk about Mass Effect. I, You know, we could talk about the game and all that kind of stuff. But I think that the real interesting part of Mass Effect is how successful it is at creating a very, yes. very fleshed out world within the structures of a video game. And mm. I think that's something that is... You know, the game is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, It's janky, as I said. It has some problems. I think that Mass Effect 2 and 3 are better video games. Yeah. But for me, Mass Effect is the most successful of the three games because it did something singular and interesting and new that I had not seen in a video game before. And I don't think I've seen since, really. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not very into Bioware. I don't like the way they handle their conversations. I hate the... Uh, I do. I really don't like Dragon Age, especially for it's just... I, I don't like all of the dating sim shit that goes in Bioware. Like, for me, Bioware games these days about thinking about what cartoon character you want to masturbate to, and it's just like, I, I, I don't care, but... Um, yeah, whenever I whenever I play a, a Bioware game and I finally get to the sex scene, I always sing a little song to myself that's like "Puppet Sex, Puppet <laughs> Sex," you know, because oh, it is. Right? Oh my god, do you remember how controversial the sex scenes were in at least to Fox News in Mass Effect? By the way, like I do remember that. Oh yeah, my god, god. I, it was hilarious because so I I got the lesbian sex scene with the consort at the beginning, and it's just like read. Ridiculous. It's like they kiss and then you see like it pans up and then you see like someone's hand go up and then just go down and that's it. And <laughs> it's stupid. And and I will say that along that idea, it is Mass Effect does belie its creation largely mm. by cis straight men as well. I mean, the Asari are a monogendered species that 
produce, I think, uh, uh, by Parthogenesis. Yeah, but 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 they all look like beautiful women, and they're all they've all got big tits, and like they all pretty much look the same, which is to well, say, they look like supermodels. And well, let, there is a suggestion somewhere that the Asari have some kind of light psychicness going on that they will. Their appearance alters to be whoever the beholder thinks is the most attractive, assuming that beholder is a man. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I, which is I, re- no, which which is a different layer of ridiculousness. I mean, it, that's I that's getting into Witcher territory, where uh, all of the sorceresses are actually like horribly ugly old women, <laughs> and they like cast spells on people to make them look like beautiful women essentially i don't know i just like i find that kind of thing to be yeah like can we get some women to work on these games and then maybe i'll be more receptive to that i don't know well we could get more women to work on these games if people wouldn't send nasty hate letters to vioware so i mean yeah you're a move alt right kill yourselves yeah yeah (laughs) Um, Social justice warriors. If you are not a member of the alt-right, your life has so much value, and please do not kill yourself. Talk to somebody. Get a friend. Yeah, exactly. If you're a member of the alt-right, though, fuck off. Um, anyway. But I, I mean, I yeah. But I but I bring that up only to say, like, you know, if you're if you've never played Mass Effect and you want to play it, if this conversation has made this sound interesting to you in any way, and I, I think you should. Like, I I yeah. like a lot about this game. I still have a lot of fond memories about this game. I would not have played this game five times if I didn't like it. And as much Uh, as I was grumbling while I was playing it, it was nice to get back into this world, to hang out with these people, that kind of a thing. Again, Bioware is excellent at the world building. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, I really like the world of Mass Effect. And I think that, you know, I I obviously like the world of Star Trek a lot. Um, I am not, like, a fan of, like, fandoms. Yeah. I don't I like I don't I don't know that's not something I really engage in. I mean I don't I don't judge it and I think that you know however you get through the day is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is the case that like I generally will, will like individual things about certain fan fandoms but I don't really get um I don't really get like wrapped up in 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 fandom a lot. But yeah. I think that Mass Effect for whatever reason is is one of my fandoms. Like I really like it and I think that it's a shame what Bioware has done to it. Huh. But but I also think I mean well we should talk at some point about how terrible Mass Effect Andromeda is. I don't know maybe we'll do a patron special on that huh. at some point. Uh But then I'm going to have to play it. I mean you said to me it was like it felt like clearing out your inbox. Oh, it's awful. It's just, it's so I I I cannot describe to you how bad Mass Effect Andromeda is, Richard. It's awful. I I know but, I'm curious to play it just because I want to see how bad it is, but I don't want to spend a dollar on it. So it's insultingly bad. But It'll anyway. be five dollars at some point, and I'll get yeah. Just play it for ten hours, and you'll get exactly why I hate it. Mm. But um. I, I think that like what it comes down to is that I want more Mass Effect and I want them to figure out a way to make a Mass Effect yeah. thing that isn't terrible. Like, I, I don't know. Like they had talked about doing a movie. I don't think it would work as a movie. I, I see Mass Effect more as a television show. Okay. And I think that if they did a good job with it, I think it could be really, really, really good. But is that ever going to happen? I don't know. I don't think that uh, adaptations of video games ever really are very successful but at the same time i mean i if if you're giving it to me to create the show set it on the citadel have it be have there be you know 10 main characters you know it 
It could be a DS9 style plot where it's just, you know, what are these different people dealing with on a day to day basis in this hub of the galaxy? Yeah, yeah. And I think it could be done really well. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. I could probably talk for another hour or two or 10 about Mass Effect, but I think that we've. But that would take uh, away time from playing Mass Effect again. (laughs) Now I'm done with it for a while. (laughs) But now you have Mass Effect 2. You got to transfer your character. I finally unlock. I know I might actually start a Mass Effect through playthrough. I'm sick. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Richard, help me. Hey. Um. I I played through the entire franchise again in February in preparation for Mass Effect Andromeda, and of course, Mass Effect Andromeda turned out to be terrible. And now, four months later, I played Mass Effect again. I mean, that's how much I like it. But yeah, I I, I hope that uh, we've given you some kind of indication about why we why I like Mass Effect so much and and why you should play it if you haven't played it. Hooray. Well, you gave that to me. All right. Well, we'll wrap this patron special up, but but I just want to take this opportunity. Well, we both want to take this opportunity. Don't put words in again, my mouth. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> to once again thank all of you for supporting Truck About and tuning in. Uh, it really, really, really does help us, and mm. it, it shows that what we're doing matters to somebody, which is always nice to know. So, um, all right. Well, next month, uh, we are, we have, uh, we mentioned, I think before that, um, the patron special for October is going to be on the Orville, uh, which is the Seth MacFarlane star Trek ish half hour comedy. And boy, are Uh, we looking forward to it? Yeah. I think it has a premiere date. I think it's September 10th. So we can't we can't fit it in for the patron special for September, but we're going to do it for October. So uh, look forward to that in two months. But next month, uh, we're going to be doing a movie called Pride. Uh, This is my choice again. So I've been choosing a lot of these. So Richard, start coming up with patron specials. Um, I came up with uh, the Orville one. Okay, fine. Uh, It's a 2014 British movie that tells the story of lesbians and gays support the miners which was an organization in london that raised money for striking coal miners in thatcher's england it is great because it talks about socialism it talks about solidarity uh it talks about the importance of all kinds of oppressed working people to come together in a spirit of cooperation to defeat fascists so and it seems very very timely to talk about God, fucking Margaret Thatcher, she and Reagan, they're both dead, and thank God. But Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be next month, and then we'll talk about the Orville. And then after that, who knows? Hmm. I guess that's my pick. 